I'm Christy Galtier. My husband, Phil, and I are the co-founders of Soul Shepherding. We teach you how to thrive with Jesus in life and leadership. Today we're continuing our popular series on the Enneagram as I have a soul talk with my friend, Bobby Schuler. Bobby is the lead pastor of Shepherd's Grove and the Hour of Power, which is the longest running televised church service in America. Every week, he reaches millions of people around the world with the gospel of Jesus. Bobby is also the author of You Are Beloved. Hey friends, welcome to Soul Talks. This is the real podcast now. We <laughs> just did a Facebook Live and your uh, Enneagram One co-host here forgot to turn it on. <laughs> so Bobby and I did a 35-minute amazing podcast. But the only way you can hear it is on Facebook Live. Yeah. Go to Soul Shepherding on Facebook right now. Yep. And you'll get it. Oh, it's so fun. And Bobby, like the uh, Enneagram 8, that healthy Enneagram 8 that he is, so positive and affirming. And, oh, that's okay. That's what the Lord wanted. And, hey, it, went, it went live on Facebook. And hey, I got all day. We'll do it again. That's right. <laughs> this one's going to be better. That's right. I said some super embarrassing stuff, and if you want to hear it, you're going to have to go to Soul Shepherding and <laughs> like and share the uh, video. Oh, <laughs> uh, so fun. Well, I just love talking to you, so I'm, I'm thankful to uh, go back into it again. We're talking about the Enneagram on Soul Talks, as you know, and I've got my friend Bobby Schuler here with me, special guest, and most of you know he's the pastor of Our Power and the longest-running televised church service in America. Yeah, that's right. We're as old as uh, Disneyland. <laughs> well, no, actually, that's not true, because the church started the same year Disneyland did. The Hour of Power started in 1971, and uh, I think we're the we're one of the last hour-long shows that's on a national—I think we're the, the last hour-long show on a national network. Somebody told me that. I, I haven't verified it, but we're the one of the few that still has a whole church service. We have the worship and the interview and everything. Yeah, so, it's, it's been it, great. It, it's if you don't tune into our power uh, you haven't for a while, check it out. Uh, TBN, lots of other stations, or on ourpower.org. You also do a lot of uh, uh, broadcasting on Facebook, including your mm -hmm. church services. Yeah, and you're going to be on, well, we'll talk about it later, but you're going to be on Facebook uh, on our in our church for two Sundays talking on the Enneagram at the end of March and early April, which I know a lot of people are really excited about. So Yeah, right here in, in Irvine. Uh, so excited when the former Crystal Cathedral came my way. I used to drive to you. Yeah, uh, for many years <laughs> in Garden Grove, and now you came to me right here in Irvine, where I live. It's so great, and maybe it's a good place to start too, because I, uh, it's been so great knowing you, Bill, and the the work that you've done in so many pastors' lives, but not not only, but also in my life. And it's so cool how our relationship started when when you were working at the Crystal Cathedral as a director of New Hope, and my best friend Quinn ended up being your next door neighbor. And we connected over, you and I connected over uh, uh, ORU, being whole men. We went to Oral Roberts <laughs> University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's and right. That was a, a connection point. Yeah, it was a, a great day when uh, I heard that you were coming to the Crystal Cathedral and the Hour Power and learned about you and mm -hmm. just really felt the Lord uh, really touched my heart in a, a warm way that this was a, uh, an opportunity uh, for the church and for the ministry, and that uh, I just sense the Lord nudge me, you know, hey, Bill, Bobby, 
uh, could benefit from some of the things that you've learned and encourage him. Uh, yeah. It's funny because I didn't know that till just now before this. He told me this before the podcast because I was like, we've known each other now for almost 15 years. And looking back, I had so many, um, you know, walls up emotionally in my life. Mm. Uh, it was It was hard for Hannah as a girlfriend and as a wife to sort of break through a lot of that, you know, a lot of stonewalling. We had a lot of fun together, did a lot of things. Enjoy. We yeah. would say we were great friendship, but when it came to vulnerability and a lot of these things, it's very difficult for my friends or, or others to sort of get through to that. For me, I would say at the time was exhausting to talk about, you know, my emotions or how I felt. I still feel that way sometimes. And the reason it's exhausting is I think it's already worn me out because it's been you know, sort of trapped inside my body, you know. Um, but you were so helpful in, and I, I, I was, we were, to the, I'm talking to the audience now, when Bill and I were talking before this, I was like, I almost feel like, you know, looking back on, we were just hanging out as friends, getting coffee, you were actually giving me therapy. And you're like, well, you know, yeah, I was. <laughs> That's kind of what soul shepherding is. My, my uh, history as a psychologist and the Lord directing me to, hey, you know, psychology psychotherapy is really a relatively new Mm -hmm. invention and soul care goes back to the beginning of time and so just take what you know and bring it to pastors and leaders in a a life-on-life context and that's what ray ortland did with me and yeah and so that's been really a a fun journey in the last decade especially as we've been been doing this awesome well i I just am so grateful for you bill I, i dedicated my last book to you I loved on your 50th birthday when you had all these pastors over and all these, a lot of the, I think most of the pastors there were men and their wives would stand up and say, I just love it when Joe comes back after being with Bill, you know, he's so much nicer and down to earth and serves me and listens to me more and he's more sensitive and loving. And I think, I think uh, a lot of families actually, not just people, not just individual pastors, but the pastor's families, I think have benefited a lot from uh, what you and Christy do. So we're thankful for you. I hope so. That was a fun birthday party. I didn't think anybody would come. So I just said, well, you know, we're just going to come and talk about uh, the Lord. And it's packed. Yeah. It's a packed house. <laughs> you have was, a lot of people who love you. It was encouraging. It was encouraging to hear how people had connected with Christ through my life. And uh, that's really what I want to do. And I think that's what you want to do. And that's why you're listening into Soul Talks. And so many of you have been saying thank you for this series on the Enneagram. I had somebody just stop me uh, practically on the street the other day. Saying, oh, Bill, thanks for the Enneagram podcast. My wife and I, the kids, were listening in the car and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, really learning our type, and it's helpful to us. And so it's so fun to have you on, Bobby, uh, as an Enneagram 8 and a challenger, a leader, and you have been uh, growing with the Enneagram for a number of years now, you and yeah. Hannah together, and Christy and Hannah are going to have a conversation on Soul Talks here in just a couple of weeks, and uh, if you want to make sure that you don't miss that, you who are listening in, but tell us about your journey as an Enneagram 8. Sure. Well, when I found out I was an 8, I was bummed. You know, I was actually really sad about it. Which I, is a good sign that it might be your type, I know. usually we don't like our type. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually, actually, Hannah introduced me to Enneagram. She picked up the book at a Barnes & Noble years and years ago, I think even when we were dating, and I just like threw it, this is stupid, I'm not going to be in some somebody's box and all this stuff. She's like, oh, it's really good. And it was so interesting because I had so much respect for you when you really started digging into it, and it's really seemed to become more of a broad discipline. It's been so useful for me. And so when I took the test, I actually tied even between a three and an eight. 
got the same score, and then scored pretty high on seven and nine, but incredibly low on two and four. In fact, the lowest I had was two, which as you'll, you'll probably explain later, is like a bummer because that's <laughs> as an eight, that's where I'm supposed to, supposed to be going. And uh, and uh, I always thought of eights, you know, when I was learning these personalities, I thought it was a seven. I didn't really think I was a three. Uh, I I thought I was a seven because I'm, I'm I don't think of myself as an angry person. I'm not a mean person. I I feel like I'm really try to be encouraging and and I'm boisterous. You know, like I'll be eating at a restaurant. I remember once, actually, not that long ago, I was at a coffee shop with a friend and and some lady behind me tapped me on the shoulder. She said, "Excuse me." I said, "Yeah." She said, "I," and she said it in a little bit of a condescending way, like, "I appreciate your enthusiasm." And no, and I didn't understand what she was saying. I was like, "Am I being too loud?" She's like, "You can bring it down just a little bit." <laughs> <laughs> so this is me. You know, I always talk. I always talk too loud. Hannah will, you know, always help me with that. And I just always thought of myself as as you know, fun, fun to be around. But when I when I read the types to my small group and to Hannah, everybody was like, you're an eight. You're not, a, you're not even close to us. You're not a seven at all. You're an eight. And I was like, oh, okay. And I remember there was some, some conversation we had where I said something about when my family comes over on Tuesday nights, sometimes, you know, they're there and I just go and disappear into my room and, you know, get on my phone or read a book or, you know, try and get away. And you're like, oh, you're an eight. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and the other thing is I tried to explain to you is I, when I'm with you, Bill, I'm very often on my best behavior, you yeah. know, because I really look up to you. <laughs> so yeah, so. It, it took me a while to, to really hone in on, on your eightness, but you, you're, uh, giving us some clues and some of your reflections on your self-discovery and the, that energy, that the loudness in the voice, mm-hmm. uh, the, the positivity, the, uh, that gut reaction, uh, wanting independence, wanting space, you know, mm-hmm. leaving when, when people are around sometimes. Yeah, those are, those are some clues. So the reason I was disappointed is because I, I pictured an eight in its description as somebody who's, you know, brash and mean-spirited mm-hmm. and, and, you know, controlling and manipulative and, you know, kind of, kind of a bad guy. You know, kind of reads like this is a bad guy. And I just, I don't figure myself that way. And and uh, the, come to find out, that person's a one. <laughs> In you're, my look, experience, you're looking at me that way. Well, you're you, not. You this call way. me brash and condescending. <laughs> you're not this way at all. But it's funny because I have a. I've had. I've actually gravitated towards ones a lot. I have a lot of ones mm. in my life. I like hiring ones, and I end up being very good friends with ones. But the the thing I found is that the meanest version, when they're unhealthy, I think is the one. That they they whereas like I'll slap somebody on the back and call them an idiot, the the one will look at them in the eyes and ice cold say you are an idiot, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know not not like that you know but I with an incisiveness I, yeah there's a there's a sort of coldness to ones and a and a, a a judgment that I've experienced sometimes, and so like some of my closest friends are ones well you're you're a one and you're you're a very healthy one so a healthy one is an amazing thing to be around but an unhealthy one can be very like you know, cut people off for some of the smallest things, you know, yeah. that, that feels so petty. And, uh, and so, uh, but anyway, I, I, you know, I've just found that there's so many, it's been wonderful to study the Enneagram because every personality type can have this really rotten dark side and they can have this really redemptive, amazing That's side, right. you know, and speaking of ones, ones are one of my favorite types to be around because 
you can just trust them with anything. Mm. And the ones that I know in my life are also very loving. Mm. You know, they're very, very loving and devoted, you know. But um, but you can, like, give them a job, and you don't have to micromanage them. They don't want to be micromanaged. And uh, trust them to do this and that. R- Russ Jacobson, for example, who's our chief operating officer and pastor, is a hardcore one, you know. And I have to talk to him sometimes and be like, that sounded mean. You know, the way you said that to that person, you you know, this kind of thing. Yeah. But, but so, so I see it, you know, sometimes with them. And then on the flip side, I worked for, I think we talked about this briefly. I, I worked for a one, you know, in a partnership and it wasn't good for either of us. You know, I drove him crazy, crazy. And he got so angry at me all the time. And so I, it was a really hard thing for, for both of us, me and this other guy we worked together. Yeah. It's really good uh, to work for an eight that's redeemed, healthy. Uh, when you are in your best self with your energy, your positivity, your truth-telling, your confidence, your vision uh, about what's possible, your championing of the underdog, and uh, bringing in lots of helpfulness, consideration for others, uh, empathy. Mm. It's like everybody's going to follow an eight like that. Mm. Well, hopefully I'll get there someday. <laughs> you are you are there, I think, uh, around the way. And... Uh, but yeah, an unhealthy eight can be like those things that you described in terms mm-hmm. of uh, brash and uh, angry and um, uh, stepping on people to, to, to get where they're trying to go, really into power. And mm-hmm. so people can get hurt with that. Yeah, you know, it's weird because I think one of the things for me is I feel like I don't have a, a, you know, a big opinion one way or the other most of the time. You know, very often I do hate indecision. I hate indecision. Like when a group of people uh, are standing around trying to decide what to do. Um, enough that, already. Let's get there. Exactly. Let's do something. Actually, yeah. so there's this joke, this running gag. On my birthday for like the last six years, I have this group of friends. And we always do what I want to do on my birthday. And the, and it's like people make a joke now that you know, Bobby's birthday is a national holiday. You know, because <laughs> I'll pay for the whole thing and we'll do the, this whole thing. But one of the reasons I love doing these friends trips on my birthday is I get to because it's my birthday, everybody understands that we can do what Bobby wants because it's his birthday. It's one of the few times where I can do that, and it's okay culturally, yeah. you know. And um, so, but no, I would say that most of the time I don't have a big opinion on things. You know, I'm okay like either way, as long as a good decision's made. It doesn't have to be a grand decision. But when there are times, especially when it has to do with this is wrong, and it's like, or if I have an opinion that I know something's really going to benefit someone and they just don't see it, they don't see how it can help them, I become almost obsessive in my need uh, to convince this person, you know, that what they're doing is wrong or that they need to do this next thing. It'll help them so much. Um, and that's something that, that I think really is that the eight side is like, you know, this, yeah. do this, do this. You've got to do this. It's the smartest thing. It's you're an idiot. If you don't No, I wouldn't say, I never called people an idiot, but you know, you've got to do this thing, you know? And I, I think that's, that's one of the kind of the type of things that I do. And your, your journey has been one of really being uh, softened and gentled through the path of vulnerability, which mm-hmm. is the big challenge for an eight. That's the, mm-hmm. the growth point is to move into that place of, uh, feeling your emotions and your needs and your weaknesses and being mm-hmm. able to bring that to people that you trust, uh, bring that into your marriage if you're married. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like the eight doesn't, you know, the eight doesn't want to avoid a good fight. You know, that's there, there's a, 
there's a there's a kind of a meaning that can be found in in kind of like you said fighting for the underdog or con, you know confronting confronting us that the the dark side of that though is um you know for me being vulnerable being emotional um, talking about these things again i keep using this word but can feel exhausting i never feel like doing it you know there's always walls that go up and and i've had to really teach myself to to be vulnerable in these ways especially with my wife hannah who's a nine as you mentioned and um and also just draw out of her, you know, in her nineness, just, you know, it was so, I love your podcast with Brianna, a nine, your daughter. And, uh, just, I learned so many great tips about how, you know, I can, you know, understand, I've just seen this, that Hannah can feel like she's a wallflower, like she mm -hmm. disappears, like her opinion doesn't matter, like she's not valued. And so she feels so loved when I go out of my way to either, either draw out of her what she thinks, yeah. you know, involve her in projects, you know, ask her opinion, um, you know, uh, or, or the flip side, if I'm vulnerable about my emotions and I should be vulnerable about any of my emotions except anger is kind of what I've learned. <laughs> she gets plenty of anger. I'm never like, again, like angry, but I'll be like, you know, I didn't like this or this is bad, you know, or right. Versus if you were to say, I feel angry rather than getting angry, mm -hmm. or especially if you get underneath that anger and there's yeah. some sadness there and you express that. Yeah, it's weird. It's like if I feel grief, sadness, uh, envy, um, loneliness, and I express those feelings to her, even if it's like you know she she it's like she gets drawn to that. Like oh, it's like air for her. Like, yeah. Finally, you know you you show me the real you. You know yeah. Um. So and and uh, so I've learned the value in 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 doing that. You know, with Hannah. Yeah. So that's your enneagram path of growth from the. The challenger eight to incorporating some of the healthy aspects of a helper two. That's right. Yeah, that's see, that's the thing. Like, if you're an eight and you're listening, I mean, th that was very hard for me because Christy said something to Hannah that I think was really useful, and that is that eights want to, you know, make an impact. And so for me, when Hannah started, like, if I would do certain things that I thought were trivial or boring or, you know. And Hannah started saying, this really means a lot to me. This really shows me that you love me. This really sh shows that you're committed to our family. That Those things might be obvious to a lot of other people, but to me, they're not always. It feels more like a chore. I can feel controlled. And it's funny because when she started, she's really almost made a discipline of really letting me know, you know, that was so loving and it meant a lot to me. Mm -hmm. that, and it's, it's amazing because if you can show AIDS that they're making impact in the little things, you can kind of motivate them to do just about anything. Hmm. It's like, you know, the my default is to just like, I'll just pay a guy. You know, it, it, you know, if there's these little chores that have to be done, I'm like, this is an utter waste of my time. This is not moving the needle. This is not making a difference. You know, um, I, I just don't want to waste my time doing this. So there's this sense of like, just get somebody else to do it or pay a guy to do it or get a kid to do it mm -hmm. or something. So, so it's I've had to learn that you know, changing diapers and, you know, taking the kids on a walk and giving Hannah some Hannah time, you know, um, these types of things when, you know, she says that means a lot to me. It helps me do that more because it, it's like becomes bigger than just the thing itself. It's like, oh, you're really investing in your, your marriage and making an impact. Yeah, you're shifting your, your focus from what you could do or uh, accomplish or produce or how you could have an impact through doing something over to relationship and mm -hmm. being present and being caring. 
that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think as an aide, you know, I always want to do, I always want to like, it's always about moving the needle. If I were to give create a metaphor, like you always, you, you want to be making progress in everything you do. So when you get stuck doing something that's a waste of time, something that's trivial, it's like just so life thwarted. It. It's just exhausting. It, it, it feels dumb. It feels like a waste of time. It feels like you know, you're being controlled, which is something that an eight really fears a lot. So I think, I think what, what, you know, for an eight, what you don't realize is that when you move towards that two and you do things like practice, especially hospitality, mm. you know, noticing the needs of others, being generous, uh-huh. uh, caring for others, um, you know, going an extra mile um, to, to, I found that like, for me, when I decide I'm going to serve someone and like really go for it, it's so fun for me and life-giving. So, you know, to really go over the top, um, you find that, that, wow, this is like really life-giving. And, uh-huh. and um, so it's something, you know, that's, that's great. I've watched you do this over the years, and it seems that for you, knowing your Enneagram map mm-hmm. has really helped you lean into this and sort of that's encourage right. you with it. Exactly right, yeah. And it's hard to trust because it's like, I don't want to become a maid. I don't want to become a babysitter, you know? And it's so weird how this weird emotional narrative gets like, you feel like, oh, if I help clean up the house or if I help wash the kids and all of a sudden I'm, I'm a maid or a babysitter. No, There's something that feels demeaning that you're having yes. to change your thinking about. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and instead, if I start thinking like, how can I be the best dad ever and the best husband ever? And, you know, and start thinking like, you only have the smart, small window with your kids, you know, to make, and somehow it's like, if I, if I can go to 11, you know, with somehow that's better for me than, than the, I don't know, than the other. It's interesting because I, I remember when Hannah and I first started dating her dad, um, who has people at her house all the time, you know, his, he has this big house and he's, you know, had like a youth ministry. And so kids, there's all, they had this like open door policy. So always these teenagers always over at the house. And they make a mess. And Hannah and I start first started dating. And we went to her dad's house. And I had a book. We just got there. I'm sitting down. And uh, I'm, I'm like reading this book at a table. And he goes, okay, guys, everybody, everybody, come on. We're going to clean up the house. We're going to clean up the mess. And I just sort of ignored it, you know. And everybody's cleaning up. And he goes, hey, Bobby. Hey, Bobby. Hey, uh, we, need, we need you to come and help us clean up. And I, I looked up for my book, and I go, Doc, I'm not cleaning up this mess. I didn't make any of this mess. <laughs> and I went, That's awesome. And I went back to reading my book, and, and it was like, he has five sons and Hannah, and like everybody froze and looked at me. And I just went back to reading my book, and then I looked up like I didn't realize I had shocked this whole <laughs> culture, you know, that just always does what Doc says, you know. And uh, I jokingly say that's when Hannah, you know, fell in love with me, you know, <laughs> yeah. <So> when, <laughs> but that, what might've been, um, what might've been, you know, uh, you know, endearing or, or whatever is become annoying to her, you know, as, as we've been married. And in fact, when we, when we do this discipline every year, we didn't do it this year, but every year we, we pick each other's New Year's resolutions and we make a deal that we won't get our feelings hurt. So She'll, you know, she'll pick mine and I'll pick hers. And it's like, that's what we're going to work on this year. So the first time we did this, she gave me the New Year's resolution. This is way before Enneagram stuff that I would serve more. Hmm. So in particular, like if we have people over to the house, you know, that I would take people's dishes, offer to give them a cup of coffee or something, Hmm. ask them how they're doing rather than just, you know, you know, monologuing, (laughs) you know, this kind of thing. And, uh, and, and that was, that was so, it was a, 
a surprise to me because I didn't I didn't hadn't even noticed that I was I was kind of like that. Mm. And it was and I felt sad about that, you know, especially being a pastor. I was like not not sad that she said it. I was glad she said it, but just feeling like, "Oh man, am I, have I become so yeah. You know, it's not like, it's not like, I would just say a lot of times just kind of oblivious to it, you know? Yeah, you were convicted. You didn't want to be that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yet you were opening to maybe there are some ways that you were like that. Yeah. And then to flip, to to sort of make it a discipline and, and make hospitality and generosity. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's like these two things that I, I feel like have, I, I, that give me so much life. And that's kind of my way of moving towards the two, just like giving to people, helping people, being there for people, going the extra mile, mm-hmm. um, has been so life giving and so uh, so discipling or something. I, it makes me feel like I'm really moving in the direction of, of the Lord. And how about the? How do you relate to the uh, stress point of the five uh, as being an eight? Mm-hmm. One of your other, you got a line to the two. We've been talking about that's your growth line, and then you've got a stress line to the five. Meaning, uh, for those of you that don't know the enneagram that well, the enneagram is com- going to predict for mm-hmm. uh, challenger eight that in stress you'll tend to uh, take on some of the characteristics of an unhealthy five mm-hmm. that yeah. can be uh, greedy about maybe knowledge or or money or just feel like you don't have enough resources and you got to get more and uh, withdrawing avoiding p- pulling out of relationship mm-hmm. yeah so well, you know, I, I wouldn't know. I mean, I'm doing so well in my two path. No, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely that has been, that's been my mode for most of my life has been, um, you know, video games, mm-hmm. uh, games in general, just love games, piano. Um, I think I got really good at piano at a time when I was really stressed out because I mm-hmm. became obsessive about piano. So I'd lock myself in the room with the piano reading, like, as, as you said, but in particular, just kind of cutting people off stone, stonewalling, mm-hmm. Um, I think that that definitely happens. I still, that's still a big temptation for me that when I'm stressed out to, to, to what I think of as I need some Bobby time, which can be really good, you know, solitude, silence, prayer, that type of thing is actually really healthy, but it, but very often it's more like go watch Netflix in my office with my headphones and the office door locked Mm -hmm. or, or something like that, you know? Yeah. So the interesting, interesting thing there is that you could read or even read the Bible or play the piano in a way that uh, might be unhealthy because these are like really good things yeah learn connect with god uh, beauty the arts Mm -hmm. but if you're shutting down your emotion particularly Mm -hmm. anger uh control issues and you're sort of like escaping from that Mm -hmm. which maybe a more obvious example would be like going into video games or binging on netflix but potentially that same unhealthy disconnective process is is in any of those activities yeah even, even you, the good ones yeah for me i become like golem and lord of the rings you know yeah. where it's like you know you just want to be in your little cave with your precious mm-hmm. and it's it's interesting because if if somebody interrupts that you know tries to come in and be like tr- tries to draw you out you t- for me uh when i'm really in a bad place i lash out at that person mm-hmm. you know like if hannah or one of my kids or a friend you know it's like if the, my friend tries to call me to go hang out and I'm in that place, it's like, you kind of be like, oh, leave me alone, you know? This is where teenagers put that do not disturb sign on the yes. door. <laughs> I'm sure everybody has a little bit of this, yeah. but I, I think it's it's definitely, you know, a thing. Hannah jokes, too, that I love treasure. I have a safe, you know, a big safe in my office <laughs> that has, you know, precious metals and jewelry and she just and 
you know, all sorts of guns. <laughs> it's all the stuff, you know, that your, your power supplies. Yeah, I know. I don't even know why I do it, you know, but it's the, I, I like to open it from time to time and look through all my things. And <laughs> that sounds like a very five thing to do, but I'm not, I'm not a five at all. But I, I, uh, anyway, but it, I don't know if that's maybe, I, I, I don't know, but, uh, <laughs> It's just amazing how the Enneagram can predict these things. So, uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Have you ever thought of David in the Bible as an Enneagram 8? You know, uh, kills Goliath as, a, oh, yeah. as a, a, a young guy and becomes a warrior and powerful, mm-hmm. best king in the history of Israel. And, uh, and then yet we see the growth in David of the psalmist who becomes vulnerable. And mm-hmm. he's a poet and he's a you know, man after God's own heart, a lover of, yeah. of people. Yeah. Uh, course in the middle of that is a lot of his trials that really mm-hmm. gave him opportunity to move towards the lord with vulnerability when he was being uh, unjustly hunted down by king saul and his armies and was waiting on the lord for deliverance and for justice and then a very different kind of trial went after his own sin of uh, adultery and murder and mm-hmm. all that around Bathsheba and so forth. And uh, Nathan the prophet confronts him and he's very, you know, denying his stuff, which is like, you know, unhealthy eight there, you know, deny, no, no problem here, you know, yeah. what's the matter with you? And yeah, exactly. <laughs> this kind of thing. But, but, but Nathan is able to, in a very uh, witty and, and winsome way, help David into a place of uh, contrition and vulnerability and confessing his sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we got this great Psalm 51 prayer that comes out of that, that, you know, mm-hmm. God has used for millions of people over the, over the many years. So yeah, David's a real interesting Enneagram 8 story there. For sure. I mean, I definitely resonate with the, who is this yeah. uncircumcised Philistine? Of course, saying yeah. it in front of everybody, yeah. shaming him, you know, uh-huh. mocking him, you know, mocking the, the tough guy, the giant is uh is the kind of thing i think we were talking earlier as a like it reminds me of when i first started seminary you know that's that's the thing you know it's just, it's a stupid thing that this is something i really have to work on because it's so that even today i just struggle like the thing that keeps me up at night when i think about sin or think is, is like i think about um you know just not not controlling my tongue like always i always have to if i think something is the right way you know, I say stuff that I've, I just regret, you know, or I put people in their place or mm. challenge people. And I've gotten much better at that, but it's so, it's like, you know, I just, I, it's something I really struggle. I was, we talked about Ray Anderson, you know, something that's very embarrassing story when I was a first year seminary student at Fuller, Fuller Seminary. And I, you know, was, and I'm in this class, I'm thinking, is nobody going to say anything? And so when I stood up and just said, you are wrong, you know, <laughs> just like, you can't say this to these people. You, you don't read the Bible. You don't believe in God. You know, and what I didn't know is I was being totally baited by this professor who was always just, this is how he taught, is he always mm-hmm. taught by being the opposite of whatever you are. So if he was, you know, if you're a Calvinist, he's an open theist. You know, if you're a, if you're an open theist, he's a Calvinist. If you're, you know, Baptist, he's charismatic. If you're, so he always wanted you to, it was always challenging everybody, and then he, of course, he takes me out to, to, um, and he just sat there quietly and just didn't didn't even respond, didn't even give me an answer. Sitting sitting there with you at lunch, just being yeah, they took to Coco's afterwards, and neutral yeah. and yeah, yeah, he's just so chill, just trying to get to know you and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I think he was a five, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's a great Enneagram eight story. Uh, 
first year seminary student challenging the uh, uh, the guru professor. Yeah, exactly. Pump, pumping your chest out, loud voice. Yeah, and I think I told I think I told you this bit in hockey. I I led the hockey league for most minutes in the penalty box for fighting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we, uh, I, I had some of that too. It was an Enneagram One as a kid. I got got in some fights. Uh, we we got some anger stuff going on there in the gut mm-hmm. triad. The Challenger Eights, the the Peacemaker Nines is really hidden, but it's deep in there. And then the Perfectionist Ones, uh, we've got some anger to deal with. Well, thanks for sharing with us, Bobby. It re- really helps us to understand the Enneagram Eight and the path to christlikeness and what it's like in in relationship with others sure absolutely the the biggest advice i'd give to anybody that's in a relationship or working with an eight uh, i think eights really appreciate um you know uh respectful but direct uh conversation Mm -hmm. just shoot straight with them but just be respectful as long as you're respectful you're all good number two is um give some space like allow like if you're married to an eight some space to have some of their time um, and then I, and then I think, uh, just if you're married to an eight, two, cause we'd mentioned this before, it's just so important that, that, that if they're doing things that they don't really feel like doing that, if you, one way you can motivate them is just to help them see how they're making an impact or making mm-hmm. a difference. Mm-hmm. I, I think those are some things that can be really useful in being a, uh, in a friendship, uh, with an eight. Mm. Well, thanks friends for tuning in to soul talks. Lord, we just thank you for each of our listeners, and uh, we pray a special blessing on the the Challenger 8s in the audience, the men and women who are wired uh, as uh, leaders, as truth-tellers, with uh, lots of energy and power, maybe some anger struggles in there, and we just pray, Lord, that you would encourage them, and that you would show them the impact they are making, and you would help them to take courage for walking the path of vulnerability with you, Lord, and knowing that uh, when they are weak before you and with you uh, uh, in wisdom before other people, that then you can be strong in them and through them. And that's how your grace is perfected in us as we take that path of vulnerability with you, Lord. And pray for our listeners who are married to a Challenger 8 or in relationship with one uh, at work or in friendship or in church and Let's pray, Lord, that you would speak the the wisdom and the grace that's needed to to bring blessing in those relationships. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Check out our Soul Shepherding blog for our free Enneagram coaching tool. We have a number of free Enneagram videos on Soul Shepherding's YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. To see these and other videos, just subscribe and follow us. We'd love for you to make comments and share these posts with your friends to help us grow the Soul Shepherding online community. 